0: God, in the quiet of this room, we pray for perspective on who we are. Would you give us just a glimpse of what's important this morning? God, we're so caught up in the things that don't last. Our yards, our cars, our bank accounts, our jobs, they all go away. In fact, they're all dying in front of us. They're getting older, they're getting broken. And yet we still seem to lose perspective and put all of our energy into those things. When the eternal things, like the relationships we have with our kids, with our wives, with our friends, the relationship we have with you, those all get a back seat for some reason. And so right here, right now in this place, God, we reverse it, we switch it. We put the eternal things first and let, take, let you take care of the things that don't last. We pray, God, that you would give us, with that new perspective, you would give us a new understanding of who, who we are, what you want us to do, who you want us to be, and how to get to those things that our hearts really desire, the hope, the peace, the joy that we're all after. We thank you today for being our Father. There are a lot in this room who didn't have one, who don't have one on the earth, and so we thank you for being our Heavenly Father and pray today that you'd be honored by the way we listen and by the way we act because of what we hear in your Son's name. Amen. I get emotional when I think about my dad. Um, man, totally one of those guys up there, socks and sandals wearing, um, just whatever it takes to be a dad kind of guy in my life. But what I, what I, when it really hits me with my dad is when he whispers to me. Um, I may you may have heard me say this before, but my dad and I, uh, when I was a kid, we squirrel hunted. We don't squirrel hunt anymore. We used to eat squirrels. Now, for some reason, we just don't want to eat squirrels anymore. We, don't, we, we just don't, we don't hunt anymore um, together. But when I was a kid, it was important to him that I learned the appreciation of a gun and how to, how to be in the woods and be quiet and, and those kinds of things. And so he taught me from a really early age. And we went on Saturday mornings when I was a kid. We would go to a different woods just about every, um, every Saturday during the hunting season and i I just love being with my dad something about the smell of a jacket he had a jacket that he wore that had no sleeves in it but it had a pocket in the back and if you're a hunter squirrel hunter you know what that pocket's for it's for the kill and i'm telling you the jacket had never been washed and for some reason to this day when i smell old squirrel i get a little nostalgic because i think of my dad's jacket but I also, this, this thing with my dad, he, he's a big, and he used to, he's preached here for a while before I did. He's a big dude, really big guy, 6'4", 250-ish, and loud, really, really loud guy. His sneeze is like a 4.2 on the Richter scale. Um, he is a loud dude. But when he whispers, something changes in him, and something changes in me. And since I was really little, we would go into the woods, and I, I, I liked squirrel hunting. I loved rabbit hunting because rabbit hunting, the goal was to be loud. If you've ever rabbit hunted, you know you don't, you don't want to sneak up on a rabbit. You want to kick up the rabbit because they're usually hiding. You kick up the rabbit and then you shoot it. I didn't like the shooting part, but I liked the kicking up and being loud part. Squirrel hunting was totally opposite. We had to be quiet and we had to whisper. We had to sit and do nothing a lot. It was good for me, but it wasn't my favorite thing except for the way my dad was in the woods. I'll never forget, and to this day, when my dad whispers to we, me, we're in a movie theater or when we need to be quiet somewhere, dad will whisper, it reminds me of squirrel hunting. He would, we would sit in behind a tree, and we'd see squirrels on the other side of the tree, and he'd say, okay, John, here's what we're going to do. You go around, you flush the squirrels out from the other side, and I'll shoot. And there's this thing that happens to me. We were at a movie not that long ago, my <laughs> wife and I, my mom and dad, and my dad said, hey, you guys want some popcorn? And I went, <laughs> <laughs> looking up into those trees for squirrels. And I immediately, you know, God does this to us. One sense will trigger another sense and will trigger a memory. You know, isn't that cool? God put that in us for a really good reason. But when my dad whispered to me in the movie theater, I smelled gunpowder and that gross squirrel smell that came from his jacket. I smelled it right then and all of a sudden wasn't real hungry for popcorn. But I had this flood of not shooting a squirrel, not even hunting, but of the love that my dad had for me. And as an adult now looking back going, he gave up all of his Saturdays to sit next to a tree. And we didn't get very many squirrels because he, he had me hold a plastic gun um, and he, he would he was wanted to teach me gun safety and I was too young to hold a gun. So he had a, had a plastic gun and it was one of those that had the trigger on it where you go, eh, you know. And so he would you know, he'd let me point at the squirrel and shoot and it would go eh, and then the squirrel would be gone and we wouldn't get any squirrels that day, you know. So it wasn't about squirrel hunting, it was about me. And now that I'm older, I I remember that. And and I want you to, I tell you that story this morning because I, I want you to know that I believe God is very intentional about the way He's built us for those kinds of memories and those kinds of things. And He has set Himself up for those same kinds of things in your life. In fact, there are three parts to God. This so is something we don't talk about a lot. It's something that's a little bit confusing if you're not careful. But I believe because there are three parts to God, he has given us all something to relate to. The Bible calls God the Father, the creator of everything. He calls it, the Bible calls him God the Father. And so if you've had a good father in your life, you can relate to God the Father. Now, now, in my life, when I think, when things are really hurting, when things are bad, when things are harsh, when things get really loud in my life, I go to God the Father and hear, it's okay, Whisper bible says god speaks in a still small voice it's a quiet and i go to god the father and i think about my father but there's some of you in here that can't relate to that kind of father And in fact when i say father your first connotation is to run or to cuss or to cover your head and so god knowing that you need something to relate to there's a second part of god his name is jesus and he's part of God, he always was, he always, during creation, Jesus was in heaven, he was there, there was a, he's a part of God, and God sent him to earth to be totally beaten, broken, unfairly punished. Every, lots of things that happened to Jesus, most of the things that happened to Jesus between the age of 30 and 33 were completely unwarranted and not fair. And I think about some of you in this place today who have things going on in your life that just flat aren't fair, Period doesn't make sense it's broken it's messed up it doesn't fit with what logic would say it's just not fair and God goes I, I want you to be able to relate to me I-, I was broken God says I came to earth it's not fair I was beaten I was broken I went through persecution I went through the junk I had the emotions I did the crying I did the the yelling I did all of that all those feelings I've had he wants you to be able to relate to him that way and then there's one more part of God that I want to talk about today in this series and if you've heard me do a baptism up here, um, you know that, that we, we do baptisms in, in, in the name of three parts of God. God the Father, which we talked about, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And part of the Holy Spirit um, that we don't talk about much um, is, is the, the, the fact that He's with us right now, right here in this place. And it feels weird to talk about it. Maybe I'm at fault for that because... It, you know that I have a faith problem, and I struggle with faith, and I don't like things that sound like ghosts. In fact, there are some people that still call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost, and it makes me feel like that it's this ethereal thing that isn't real, that isn't tangible, and, and so I don't talk about it a whole lot, but the truth is, when Jesus left the earth, he said, I will be with you to the very end of the age, and you're going to hear as part of our story today, that at that point, he imparted the Holy Spirit to live among us. And that's what he says is in our presence today. And this is why I I think it's funny, and and you've heard me pray this, um, and I I know that you've prayed this too. If you're struggling, if you've got a family member that's hurting, if you've got something going on, it usually happens to me in the hospitals. When I was first uh, in ministry, I used to have to do hospital calls a lot, and it's where you go, and I was low man on the totem pole in ministry, so i get all the people that nobody knows, (laughs) and they they wrote down the church's name, you know, and so I go to the church, and I don't know them, and I, I go in, and I pray this. God, would you be with so-and-so today? And the truth is, the promise that Jesus made is that he's with us now, to the very end of the age. So I've been trying to change my prayer, and instead of saying, would you be with us, I say, would you help us feel your presence? Would you help us feel like you're with us? Because at times, we, we know you're here, but at times, we just don't feel it. And I know that some of you are in that place right now. As we move through this story, which we're, we're getting close to the end of this thing. I just realized this week how close we are to the end of the story. We've been going through this, this series called The Story since October of last year. It's been a long, long series. <laughs> You're going, yeah. <laughs> um, they're all online in case you want to hear them. Um, but uh, we have gone through the entire Bible up through um, the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and now we are into the beginning of what we're doing today, and that is the church. We're the beginning of why this all started in the first place. And, and I want to kick it off this morning by reading um, a little bit of what happened after Jesus was resurrected. Check this out, John chapter 15, verse fif- or 21 verse 15. Basically what happens is Jesus raises from the dead, and when he does, um, he, it's not one of those things that we can, we can go, well, I think it happened, it may have happened, it may not have happened. Now there's some people that, that contest that it happened, but Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Um, after he had raised from the dead. And, and it was during a 40-day period that Jesus was, was on the earth uh, after he resurrected, before he ascended to heaven. So during these 40 days, the resurrection Sunday, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, which we talked about, um, who, uh, who had had some sort of a, a mental problem or some demons involved in her life, maybe even some prostitution in her life, and Jesus had kind of pulled her out of that of her life, and she was the, kind of the first person that saw Jesus. He then saw a whole bunch of other women that morning. In the afternoon, then, he saw Peter. Um, they, nobody wanted to really kind of totally believe that it was Jesus until they could be close to him and see him. About a week later, Jesus appeared to all the disciples, Um, in a room that was locked, which is a really cool thing to do. Um, I I love the way Jesus makes an appearance sometimes. You know, the door's locked. The disciples are meeting. Some of them are probably going, hey, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is going, no, you didn't. I won't even believe you saw Jesus until I can touch his wounds. And all of a sudden, in a locked room, Jesus appears. (laughs) Um, And Thomas gets to touch his his scars from from the crucifixion and, and believes. And there is this thing that that begins to happen that changes the world. And it's why you're sitting where you're sitting today. It's part of the beginning of the church. Now, I, when you think of church, um, if you're like me, you probably think of Sunday school. You think of flannel graph boards. You probably think of a guy standing on a stage talking to you for a half hour or 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> you think of communion, probably. Um, maybe you think of singing, standing up, singing songs that you've sang a lot Um, and you may even think of of some social parts of it you may think of food Um, but the truth is most of those things weren't necessarily part of the first church and so what we've done since then is we've added some things and I'm not saying Sunday school is a bad thing but when the first church started there was no Sunday school (laughs) and I'm not saying that that uh, that worship services are a bad thing, but there was no Rick Alexander standing on a stage and everybody gathering and sitting in a pew to worship. Now the truth is, they did go to the temple together and they worshipped there together. But most of the time, it wasn't about going somewhere. Church wasn't about going somewhere, parking in a parking lot and sitting in a pew. There were no pews. They didn't do church in pews like this. They did church in circles, in homes. It, it, Jesus said when. When he was getting ready to leave, he said this, he said, in my house, my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare one of them for you. And we read that, we think, oh, that's neat. And we even sing songs about a mansion, you know. Well, the people that would have heard Jesus said that would have heard something totally different because they know that the way people were living at that point is that uh, if if my daughter were to get married, I would just start building a room onto my house because I know that the way, what I should do is move my daughter and her husband into my house. And if I have five daughters, I'm going to have a lot of construction to do. Or if I have sons and I'm going to move them into my house, I just end up with a big house with a lot of additions. It reminds me of some places around here. Um, we just keep adding on to, for family. I love that feeling. And when Jesus said that to people, he said, in my house, there, in my father's house, there are many rooms. People would have looked around and gone, yeah, just like that dude. Look at that guy. He's built on, built on, built on. Looks like his daughter's getting married because that one's halfway built too. And Jesus said, in my, house, there, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare one for you and it began to change the way people thought about doing life together it began to change the way people think about doing church together about doing God together about supporting each other for life and for God so what we're trying to do here at new life and this is a long push this is a really hard thing to do we're trying to reinstitute we're trying to redevelop the first church We're trying to go around here and say, you know what, let's make the most important things in our church, the things that were most important from the beginning, not the things that are most important from now. So let's look at our budget. Let's look at our bylaws. Let's look at these things and instead of putting the priorities where they were when my grandfather was there and just saying this is what my grandfather wanted and this is what they wanted and this is what they wanted, say what was the first church like and what was the most important things. Let's put our resources there. Let's put our energy there. Let's put our time there. And it it begins to be this... Um, amazing idea for how to do life together and jesus all he starts it all after the resurrection and right back on the lake i'm i love the lake and i think there's something about the water Um, from the very beginning through all the bible there's something about the water and even if you don't necessarily like to be on the water there isn't it just peaceful I mean, there's just something about being on it. We're, my family and I are going to Shackamack State Park tomorrow. we will get a cabin, and I plan to sit and stare at the water for four days. Um, that's, that's my plan. Now, I assume my kids have something else planned for me. But there will be some time where they're sleeping, I hope, and I'm going to be staring at the water. There's something about it. And Jesus comes to these guys while they're on the water. They're fishing. He comes to them, and he's, he's on the, the, the shore, and he's make, he makes this little shore lunch with some fish. And I've been on the Sea of Galilee, you know, and and kind of imagine where this might be, and um, make some fish, and the guys can probably smell it, and he looks over, and he says, you're fishing on the wrong side, and you've heard that story. And they're like, oh, who is this guy telling me this? And finally, they, they, they decide to cast their nets on the other side, and they pull up fish like crazy, and then they realize immediately, this isn't a normal amount of fish. <laughs> that guy isn't a normal guy, and they realize as they I, I picture that it's dark. It's, it's just dawn, you know, and it's just sun's coming up just a little bit. You can't quite just make out a shadow of who that guy is. Finally, the sun starts to come up a little bit, and they fish. Just, the boat's full of fish, and the guys are looking going, who is that guy? And finally, the sun pokes up over the mountains, and the light shines on Jesus. And here's what I love about Peter. All the rest of the guys are like, come on, get the fish in the boat, and let's get to the shore. And Peter's like, uh-uh, dives in the water. <laughs> He's not even going to wait. He just wants to dive to jesus and i i got a picture of peter in my mind standing on the shoreline with a big beard full of fish and moss and all kinds of stuff looking to make sure it's jesus because when you get a, a full picture of jesus and, and this is this is the amazing thing with with peter when you get a full picture of jesus and you know everything uh, that you can know about jesus you just want to dive head first towards him and I've been praying that for you. That There's some of you in this building today who have been kicking the tires, that's what I call it. Kicking the tires on the whole God thing for a long time. And, and I understand that and I get that. But there will come a point, maybe today's your day, where all of a sudden it'll click. The sun will come up over the mountains for you. And you'll get a picture of who you are and who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And when you do, your beard will be full of moss. <laughs> Because you will dive towards him. That's my prayer for you. That's what happens to Peter. And that, at some point, and I, I, I know Jesus had, a, had an incredible plan. He's part God. So he has this incredible plan. At some point there, I believe Jesus goes, yes, this is the guy that's going to start the whole thing. He is the guy that's going to start the church. And he had already told Peter, he said, on this rock, remember Peter's name, little pebble? On this little pebble, I, I'm going to create a big rock that will be the beginning of church. Peter is kind of the beginning of where you're sitting and why we're sitting here today. And Jesus sees him come up out of the water and he has this conversation with him that I can't completely get into this morning because I got other places to go. John chapter 21, verse 15 says this When they had finished eating, so now they got a shore lunch all up here, and they're eating um, on the shore, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Which is kind of a funny thing to say. Because the disciples almost look at Jesus and like, you have lambs? <laughs> you have sheep? You, where are your sheep? Where are your lambs? And there's this little bit of confusion. Again, I, 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 get, I think Peter probably looked at Jesus with this little bit of confusion. And Jesus says, Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Then take care of my sheep. And one more time, the disciples are going, anybody know what he means? Because they're sheep. I don't see sheep. And one more time, Jesus looks at John and he says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said one more time, then feed my sheep. I think he probably said it like that. Feed my sheep. <laughs> when my son wants my attention, and Reese, he still does this. Well, since he was a little kid, he'd do this. You know how when you're talking to your kids and they're just talking your head off all day long, and they keep asking you questions and they keep asking you questions, and you kind of just be like, yeah, Reese, uh huh, that's a good story, and whatever. Well, if he really wants my attention about something, he will climb up on a chair or whatever he needs to do. He will grab me, he will grab my face, and turn to me and say, Dad, pay attention. I said, he still does this to me. Well, grab my face. He wants full attention. I think this is the kind of attitude Jesus had with Peter. He pulled his face and he said, you've got too many things going on. Look at me. Life isn't just about you. If you make it just about you, you will lose. That's my first message for you guys today. If life is just about you, You'll find yourself hurting. You'll find yourself desperate. You'll find yourself messed up because it's not the way God intended. And he says to Peter, feed my sheep. Do something outside of yourself. Get out of the boat. Get out of your depression. Get out of your frustration. Get get your head out of your own life and find somewhere else to put your energy. Now I've seen this happen so many times in my life, people who are hurting and depressed and frustrated will will say, Hey, just plug in and serve. Find something to do. Find something and it it opens up things. And what it does is it puts you in line with the way God created things to be. And he, he kicks this thing off with Peter and he says, My church, the people who follow me, are gonna live differently. They're going to love each other differently. They're going to do life differently. When they get up in the morning, their first thought is not going to be them. It's going to be somebody else. And that thinking, not, not Sunday school, not VBS. All those things are great. But that's not what changes the world, people. That's not the intent of the church from the beginning. Those should be byproducts of loving each other differently, of doing life and living life differently. It's the beginning of the church. Check this out. So Jesus teaches them this uh, in those 40 days. And at the end of that, they're standing up on a big mountain, and Jesus leads them out as far as Bethany, which is quite a hike. He, li- he, he then lifts up his hands and prayed that good things would come to them. Now, I assume Jesus did this a lot to the disciples. He got them in a circle, and he said, I'm going to pray for you guys. And there was this kind of weird feeling like, why is he praying for us? What's going on? And he prays for them, and then in verse 51 of Luke chapter 24, he says this. And while he was praying that, that good would come to them, he went from them. And you'll see in parentheses there. He was taken up to heaven. And they worshiped him. Now we call this the ascension um, in the church. Uh, that's, not something they would, that's not a word they would have used then. Basically what happened is they were all on a mountain. They got up close to this mountain. And Jesus prayed for them. And all of a sudden, he's gone. It's like beam me up Scotty sort of a situation. And, and, and they, they kind of sit around. And they, they look for a second. Check this out. Then they went back to Jerusalem with great joy. They spent all their time in the house of God, honoring and giving thanks to God. So 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended. He just, gone. Now, the cool thing is we read in other parts of Scripture that Jesus says, just as I I left, I'll come back. I'll be coming back the same direction I came in. So at some point, I believe there's going to be this time where the sky opens up. And we're going to get there in the story. The sky opens up, and here comes Jesus, coming back the same way left and he he says surely I will be with you always to the end of the age and he leaves with them the third part of God and that's the Holy Spirit he told them peace be with you this is what he said this is what is written the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day we know this and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things you are witnesses of these things and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a confusing thing for these guys. And then Jesus, phew, he's gone. And they, they've got these instructions. Okay, now you guys are going to start something new. You're going to do something new. Everything's going to begin with you. And Peter's going, I, he said, I'm the rock. I'm, like, I'm going to start this thing. I, I'm not even exactly sure what's going to happen. They're confused. They're a little frustrated. But they're excited. Bible says they went back to the church. They went back to the temple. And they worshiped together. And they did life together. And they were very excited about what God's going to do. And 10 days later, okay, so Timeline. Jesus' resurrection, 40 days later, he had this conversation with them, he ascends to heaven, and then 10 days they wait, trying to to kind of see, okay, God's going to do something. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, God's going to do something, and then God does something. It's really, really cool. Now, as I was reading through this, I, I, uh, I realized that this is something I haven't preached very much. And maybe you've never heard this story before, but this day in history, is the beginning of the church. It's the beginning of what we're doing right now. Check this out. Next slide. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. The followers of Jesus were all together in one place 50 days after the special religious gathering. Remember how the Jews left Egypt. All at once, there was a sound from heaven like a powerful wind. I don't know if you've ever been in a tornado before um, or a hurricane, but the Greek text here, the powerful wind that we translate in English, it's like... The, the original language says basically that it's, it's like all the winds of the earth came through at one time. That's how big this felt. This huge feeling. Then uh, all at once the sound, uh, the sound from heaven like a powerful wind, it filled the house where they were sitting. Then they saw tongues which were divided that looked like fire. These came down on each one of them. These, this is a big day. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus promised. Then they began to speak in other languages, which the Holy Spirit made them able to speak. Now, why would, why would God do this? Why would he, all these guys sitting in a room, why would he say, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and when I do, all of you are going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to speak in different languages. I, I, I've studied this, I've prayed through this, and I think I got it. Because there are, Jesus already said, your job... Part of your job on earth is to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So he's building it out. It's like he's saying, you're going to go into Paragon, you're going to go into Martinsville, you're going to go into Indianapolis, you're going to go into Chicago, and you're going to go into the ends of the earth. That's your job. And the people who live in Africa don't speak your language. In fact, the people who live in Chicago barely speak your language. I was just there this week. And when they talk about washing clothes, they don't say wash, <laughs> like we do. And when they talk about going down to the creek, they don't say crick, like we do. And there's dialect. The, the Bible actually says that these guys spoke, not just in different language, but different dialects. That means these guys, if they went down to the south, they would have gone in and said, Hey, what's happening, y'all? <laughs> That's a different dialect, the southern dialect. These guys, God gave them not only a different language, but a different dialect. He was so specific, he said, I want you to have the language to share with people the story of Jesus. And they begin to. And they preach this sermon that is devastating to people. Devastating, and I, I think through this sermon a lot because I I pray for a Pentecost kind of a situation. If you ever heard the day of Pentecost, this is the day. Peter begins to preach, and people begin to be drawn to him. And I pray that this feeling would inhabit sometimes when when we get together that people would be moved so heavily. Peter's talk to them was devastating. He didn't tell jokes. If you're looking at Peter's sermon to figure out how to preach, there are no jokes in this sermon. There's no three points. This is, you are a sinner, you are far from God, you're going to hell if you don't do this. But God has saved you. All you have to do is accept it and be baptized, and you can live a different kind of life today. Join us starting something new. And people from all over start coming and listening. And that day, 3,000 people were baptized. 3,000 people said, I am tired of the mess of my life. I'm tired of wondering if there's another God. I'm tired of doing life in separate little silos and making it all about myself. I want that. 3,000 people did it that day. And that was the first church. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the Jews heard this, their hearts were troubled. They said to Peter and to the other missionaries who were around, Brothers, what should we do? (laughs) This is my prayer every Sunday, that a whole bunch of you would hear the name Jesus, that for the first time you would get this, and then you would come up and go, what now? I'm devastated, I get it, I understand it, what do I do now? Peter said to them, be sorry for your sins, turn from them and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and your sins will be forgiven. He didn't say, make sure you're at Sunday school every week, don't miss another Sunday in a pew. He didn't have a big, long list. He said, here's what you do. Be sorry for your sins. Cry out to Jesus. Be baptized as a representation that your life is changing. You'll be forgiven. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children. and to This is your message. This is where you enter the story. Check this out. To you and your children, it is to all people everywhere. It is to as many as the Lord our God will call. He said many other things. He helped them understand that they should keep themselves from sinful people of this day. And then verse 41, those who believed what he said were baptized, there were about 3,000 more followers added that day. And here's what happens. Next slide. They begin to do life differently. These 3,000 people begin to not just meet together, they meet together periodically. But it, the church isn't, on Sunday mornings for them, the church isn't about being at the temple. it's about life together. And look at this: Acts: 242. They were faithful in listening to the teaching of the missionaries. They worshiped and prayed and ate the Lord's Supper together. Many powerful works were done by the missionaries. Surprise and fear came on all of them. One of my things about church right now in, in America is that we're not scared enough. We're not doing anything that makes us nervous. One of the things I love about here is that feeling that we get right before VBS when we go, "Uh uh-oh, we got 100 kids coming into the building. Right before the mall where it feels disorganized and it feels crazy and we go, "Uh uh-oh, we can't do this. We go, oh, maybe that's what God... Maybe that's the kind of fear that God wants for us to have, that kind of fear like we're doing something bigger than we can do ourselves. The problem is most churches in America now have abandoned all of the things. They've abandoned all of these things. They're not doing life together. They're not pooling their resources. They're not doing church the way it was really meant to be from the beginning. And then they close the doors and go, well, God must just not have blessed that one. No, you had it messed up. That wasn't a real church. That was just a building that you built to make yourself feel better. Now, that sounds harsh, but it is the absolute truth. When you look back at these pieces of Scripture, God says, if you want church, if you want life, if you want hope, if you want to do life differently, this is how you do it. As anyone had in need, anyone had need. They sold what they owned and shared with everything. They didn't go to their garage, look for whatever was left over, and pull it out make a garage sale and give a little bit of money to the food. That's okay, but that's not what they did. You see what they did? When somebody else was in need, they said, I'm going to sell my stuff to my detriment because it's not about me. And somewhere in the past 2,000 years, it has gravitated to once again being about me. Now, I can pull into the parking lot, and I can sing songs about God. I can listen to a preacher talk, and I can walk out of here feel better about myself. But the truth is, that ain't church, folks. That's not the beginning. That's not the way this thing started. The way it started was every day doing life together, pooling resources, pooling life to make sure no one is in need. Day after day, they went to the house of God together. Did you see that? Day after day, every day at this point in history, they were together worshiping God in their houses, and they ate food together. Now, that's one thing we got right, isn't it? Look at that last line. I'm going to pretty much end on this. Their hearts were happy. (sighs) Do I need to say anything else? I mean, what are you after? What do you want? You want a bigger house? Go get it. You want a bigger car? You want a nicer place? You want a big 401k? Go get it. But the only way to what the Greek text here says is true happy. (laughs) I wish we could translate that word. It's just kind of not quite there. Their hearts were, I would put in front of it, true happy. Because we all have fake happy, right, that lasts for a little bit. Their hearts were true happy. What it means is that they were in line with the way God intended for them to live. If you're missing that today, you're missing church. I believe there are dead churches everywhere. But the ones that are alive, they have a problem with space. The churches that are alive have crown all over the walls. The churches that are alive can't keep the building up because they can't keep up with the number of people to come in. There's, the yards are a mess because people have to park in the yard. The, the churches that are alive, are God is adding to their number daily because, because they have a good preacher? Nope. Because they have a good Sunday school program? Nope. Because their VBS is smashing? Nope. Because their worship band is great? Nope. Because they're doing life the way God intended from the very beginning. And I'm telling you around here, I I believe this wholeheartedly. When we do that in this place, that parking lot can't contain us. This building won't hold us. This community doesn't know what to do with it. That will happen here. And we're headed there. And God will add to their number daily. Next slide. Go one more. I'm going to give you an opportunity today. And band, you guys can come up. Man, I'm sweating up here. I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity up here. And here's the thing today. You can leave, you can walk right out of here and do what you've been doing. And truthfully, there's some good things that you can get by showing up on Sunday mornings and parking your car in our drive. There's some good things. You'll get some good information. You'll feel better about yourself. It's good for your family. The worship is fun. There's some good things you can get. But it doesn't lead to true happy. It doesn't lead to the kind of life that God wants from us. You know you know how, I'll just say it this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm real honest about my own shortcomings in my life. I see you on Sundays. The majority of that is my fault. I got so many things going on in my life right now. But I see you on Sundays, and I don't mean to pick anybody out, but I love Allison Peden, and she's got a baby coming any day. And I see her and her baby bump once a week. It's not, what, not the way I want to live my life. I, I got friends that are broken. Their life's hurting. Their finances are falling apart. And I send them a text say, praying for you. not the church. It's not what God called us to. It it can be something. It can be the American church. That's what you want. But don't confuse it with the life-giving, life-changing power of the first church. I'm just going to ask you this morning if you'd engage in real church and there's a real easy way if you're the kind if if you're like me and you've got a problem with priorities, if you've got some issues in your life where you're going I I'm just sitting in a pew on Sundays and that's what church is to me. I got a real easy fix for this. You asked. We got VBS coming up. And there's probably no other way to do life together. No better way to get to know each other and really do life together than to try to corral a whole bunch of kids and feed them. Help us do something get involved be here i I got friends in this place that are true happy they don't have a lot of stuff they don't have a lot of things going on in their life financially or a lot of big screen tvs in their life but they're here when the doors are open and there is a true happy in them this works i'm going to ask you if you'd engage in it today i'm going to ask you if you would do this and that's that's living the spirit here's here's the truth when Jesus left, he left the Holy Spirit, which is here all the time. And God says it speak, the, the Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. The Holy Spirit speaks all the time, constantly, like my dad. Hey, John, go over. Stop what you're doing. I know you're at Walmart, and you've got too many things to do. But there is a person over there that you're supposed to be doing life together and something's not right with them. Stop what you're doing, leave your cart, walk over there, have a conversation, have a prayer, do life together. You want to be true happy? Then do life the way I intend for life to be done. I believe that that still small voice is whispering this morning and wants to save a bunch of Christians. (laughs) I don't mean for eternity but I mean wants to save you from the same kind of life everybody else has. He's already given us the tool. I'm going to ask you to live by the Spirit. Here's the way you do it. And try it this week. and Come find me if you need some help with this. Get up 10 minutes early. It's all you need. 10 minutes early and just pray this. You've got to be quiet. You've got to find a quiet place. Don't turn on ESPN. Don't turn on quiet because you've got to hear the st- still small voice of God and say, God... Help me quiet my life today so I can hear. And you pray that every day this week. Come back to me Sunday and let me know how things are. It's not a recipe. It's not a formula. It's the way God intended us to live. And then the last, I'm going to give you the, what the rest of that church had that day, and that is hope for What's next? This church got together, and when somebody, this is my favorite part about it, when somebody was hurting and broken and needed encouragement, somebody else was always encouraging. They were always up. They were always hope. They were always, and they could bring those others up. And that's what God has called us to this morning. So if you're here, you're broken, you're, you're a mess, please engage in this church. Please engage in what God has because you need the hope of what's next. I'm going to go right back to that corner today, but this is between you and God. I'd love to pray with you, give you an opportunity just like Peter did that day to say this is the gift of God, that, that you're broken, that you're <clears throat> sinful, and that God has sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and give you the hope of eternity. You can do that today. I'm going to stand right back there, but I want to ask you if you would to stand with us and sing this morning and just give your heart to God this morning.